You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number two, Spaceman. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode two. I'm Rebecca, and here with me is the papers want to know whose shirts he wears, ground control to Major Will. Uh, mine. <laughs> uh, Captain, I don't know. I wasn't prepared. Sir, they belong to me. I didn't take them from nobody. It's a uniform. Of course it's mine. It has my name on it. <laughs> I didn't do nothing. I promise. Well, hello, Will. How are you doing? Pretty good. I, um, that's just, a, um, I, I had a giant pot of chili and a whole can of like slim, fast looking Maxwell House stuff. So I may explode like a dying sun. But it'll be entertaining <laughs> either way. I hope you took your protein pills and put your helmet on. So we'll be ready to go. Now, we're not going to check in with our good pal, socially distanced Scott, today again. But we'll probably see him next week. Do you have any important Scott news? Any any sightings of Scott in the wild? I think he's still in uh, outdoor pool mode. Because he did tell me that he was doing yard work. But made sure that he filled up the pool ahead of time so he could have his reward at the end <laughs> which, which is to get in the kiddie yes. pool nice and cold in the yes. hot sun well we'll see him next week but until then everyone keep scott in your hearts as we all do so will what are we talking about today on today's show we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the spaceman archetype i have five rebecca has five it's a top 10 so all right this is a really challenging one because we only kind of discussed what our definition of the archetype of the spaceman is. And as I was doing research on my own, I figured out that, whoa, this is incredibly complicated to winnow down, although maybe it was actually just too easy because I had to rule out a whole bunch of stuff, right? So let's talk about our archetype for the spaceman, how we picked the ones that we picked. What are the common traits? Well, I feel like, I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is me projecting, but I sort of require some sort of like nobility or morality there's like a there's like a, a built-in nobility of exploration i think is required okay that so they have so to be good exploration for good yes exploration a, for good to be a the spaceman yes not searching for new new planets to colonize or something right yeah <laughs> like colonization is not should not be the goal of our of our yes. spacemen so I, I guess that was the one thing that we definitely agreed on before we even started coming up with our list. We just said exploration mm -hmm. as a theme. Like this is someone who is a traveler and explorer of the unknown. And that can be very broadly construed, right? But an explorer of the unknown um, for interest reasons and not for colonization. That's, those are the stories we don't want to listen to. Well, I was going to ask you, but is being like in space or even just a good guy in space enough like let's say like luke skywalker spaceman so here's what i came up with here's my answer to that okay <laughs> here's my short and sweet answer all right no one in the star wars universe is a spaceman i would have to agree i sort of felt the same way and, i think they happen to live and there. they just happen to live in space and they're doing like space errands yeah they're <laughs> yeah they're negotiating their lives in space but they're not exploring Yes. So, like, that's what... I like, mean, they're forced into a state of survival and br brinksmanship, you know, in, in a war, but it's not It's not exploration. It's not a spaceman. It's not a spaceman. They just man. don't happen to it's be. Not, not a, a judgment, but it's not a spaceman. Well, exactly. Like, I love Lando Calrissian as much as the next person. And he would be the one. He would, he would be, be the one that I would pick because <laughs> yeah. I love his look and everything. Yeah. 
this is not related to anything. Everyone's like, God, get onto the con- countdown. But uh, recently, he, there was an article about uh, Billy D. Williams in AARP magazine, which I know because my mom gets it, and, <laughs> but the subscription comes to my house. I don't know. And they did a little thing about how Billy D. Williams works out. Sorry. In, in, his, mature, in his mature years, he has a workout regimen, right? And they drew little pictures of him dressed as Lando Calrissian do, demonstrating like, like little arm curls. Those are pretty savvy editors. It was a great. I wonder what he thought about that. They, I don't know. I, if he, he, he's probably like, that's how I look. Exactly. Should have been nothing but pleased. I might share a photo of that if you're all interested in seeing. I did take a picture on my phone. I was like, this is important. That is so. Unrelated. That's really funny. Okay, but Lando Calrissian, uh-huh. he's not a spaceman. Not by our so definition. Your mom's like, I'm gonna do my Landos. <laughs> she, she needs to do her Landos. <laughs> she does not get enough activity, as many of our seniors don't. And so, all right, sorry, Star Wars fans, but they're not spacemen. Yeah. Everyone in Star Trek could be a spaceman. I'll get a little. I'll get a little more into that in a moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then, like Doctor Who, the Doctor, not a spaceman, right? Because he's going to all of the different locations to help save the universe, but it's not with an exploratory aim. No, it's like a smug omniscience. <laughs> <laughs> you, I know? Love you just like really shaded Doctor Who. Like. And I was ready for it. I mean, but you know what I mean? I, I love him as much as anybody else. I mean, David Tennant especially, but it is true. Like he isn't going there uh, on a mission of learning. It's not the same thing. I mean, exactly. Or if he does, it's incidental. That isn't his intention. Correct. But let me ask you this, since you bring up Doctor Who, uh, can aliens be spacemen? They can be. I think so too. They can be, but they're not Human necessarily. Human is not requirement. Exactly. It okay. doesn't have to be a human. Yeah, an alien can't be a spaceman. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And then just rule, you know, a lot of people get ruled out right from the beginning because it's like, what are your space goals, okay? So we got our space goals in mind. And then just a little bit of dry history, you know, just to also kind of orient everyone to uh-huh. how, how we wound up picking. Um, it really starts, like, when you're talking about who's this character that we measure the spaceman archetype against, like, against, Again, who's this man we measure the archetype again, again? I don't know. Um, But, you know, like we had Conan the Barbarian for our Barbarians episode. Here, I think it really starts with Buck Rogers. And this dates back to like 1930. So this is like some old... As like the superhero... Yeah, a swashbuckler. There you go. A swashbuckler who eventually goes to space, right? Mm -hmm. But then I think it gets really crystallized. um, Like the one we're measuring against is probably like James T. Kirk. Sure. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Because like you know, like that's the that's probably how we understand the spaceman best in media. That's where it really kind of. Yeah. And I think you probably captured the the comic book spaceman and the um, fictional speculative future spaceman, maybe. Yes. Okay. All right, so we're on the same page yeah, here. I, I, yeah, I think so. We all did our space learning, and we took our space notes on our space pads, and uh, we came to the same space conclusions. <laughs> yes, for every countdown entry we have, we had a different pad that we wrote it down on. <laughs> right. And we had them all stacked up here, and we cannot transmit them into each other, but we can read off of them like separate Kindles. And I assume that when we're done with them for the day, Wesley Crusher has to take them and clap them like erasers to make them... <laughs> to make them <laughs> delete which is what you had to do in the olden days to help teacher you know i used to love to clap erasers <laughs> so with that in mind do you want to start us off with your first pick number 10 okay my first pick which is number 10 is samus aaron from the metroid series okay you know i was I was like, should I count her? Should I count? Should I count? But I wound up not because I figured she was like a mercenary first and foremost. But I think you're going to have a great argument as to why she counts as a space man. <laughs> that is no, true, seriously. especially if you get into uh, the the continuing story through the series. I think she starts the way you described and ends up being something a, l- a little bit more. Okay. But lay it on us. Okay. Lay it on us. We want, we'd I, love to hear it. And you know, we have to do all of these like, uh, like school. So just to make sure we're talking from all the same place, uh, you probably, or may know Samus is the main character from the Metroid game series. The, the one that began in 1986 with uh, Nintendo. And like Rebecca said, her backstory is that she's a bounty hunter on a mission to stop some space pirates from harnessing the power of some parasitic creatures called Metroids. And these are the jellyfish-looking thing with the little dangly teeth at the bottom. This is actually very helpful because I never played Metroid, like, as a child. 
Well, I, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you. I mean, before they got 3D, I mean, this was kind of like Space Castlevania, which I, I know you liked a lot. And I have to say, I missed it uh, with the first with the first Nintendo game release and got in on it on the uh, Game Boy and then Super Nintendo. But the big deal about this game was that it was the first one to to have the platformer mechanics like Mario and stuff, but also to be able to go forwards and backwards like. Uh, Castlevania, and so you really got into exploration like we were talking about. There you go, ding yeah. and ding. And so the exploration is not what the character is doing, it's what you're doing through the character. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and, and maybe that is a good point because she was such an uh, excellent avatar, and so you'd start with the shallow things like the look. She's got that great uniform. It's that bulky yellow spacesuit with the helmet and visor and the arm cannon. Um, and the other big thing about her, obviously, was that uh, she was female, which was a really big deal when those video games came out. Because, you know, all your spacemen and shooty guys were guys. Yeah. And from my reading about this, it was just some uh, random developer on the team who just threw out there. It's like, maybe maybe she should be female. And everybody thought it was a cool idea because Alien just came out and everything. And they were like, yeah, let's do that. And you, I mean, at the time, I mean, really think about those things. That, I mean, everybody, if you were a female, you had to be a princess or something. Yeah, like, you had to be, like, in another castle. Yeah, like, she's a princess of space? <laughs> <laughs> she's not even in the game. But like you, were, like you were saying, you're doing your exploring through her. And I think you connect with her so much because the exploring she did felt so, like, scary and dangerous because... The thing that made this game so excellent was the mood that they struck, and they took that so seriously. And I think especially in uh, the Super Metroid game, I was reading an uh, interview on the uh, Nintendo website with the original producers for that, and they talked about how meticulous and uh, OCD they were about getting the exact right mood, and they did things like they made sure all the music um, sounded like a living organism. There wasn't even any music music until oh, the end. Oh, that's cool. I and like that. The main director um, actually did a his own little edit with a VHS camera of what he wanted the intro to be so he could show it to the developers. And that's really what people probably remember from that game the most that got you into it, where it's got those great painting and fading shots of the broken lab, and then at the end it pulls away and you see the dead scientist and the little Metroid in the thing. And then they timed all the lightning strikes when her ship comes down and everything. And... I think I think the reason she's so so special and cool is because she feels like she's getting into something strange and dark and dangerous and it's not just like she's progressing through the level it's like she's encountering all these weird HG Geiger statues that have no context and you don't know what's going to happen and it was kind of the first game to do that she's got such an iconic look I just I just love that character well, it's, uh, I, well if that was your number 10 I just can't even like <laughs> that's such a good one that I can't even imagine you know, how the, what, the other ones are. You know, one more thing I'll mention about her that I really liked is I, I think something you'll see as a theme with a lot of great spacemen is, you know, just like dealing with like isolation because on one hand, you might think that game might not be fun to play because it's just her. Like you don't have like team members or anything, especially until the later games, but you don't really feel that because the story is so good and the drama is so good throughout the whole thing. I guess kind of like Castlevania, but isolation is a big part of space too. And uh, she's true. just a great, great character. All right. Number nine. D minus three minutes to lift off and counting. Mission control, this is Corvair. Launch sequence initiated. All systems go. Are we there yet? I'm thirsty. <laughs> Mission Control, request permission to sedate cargo ahead of schedule. Permission denied. All right, and now we're t ready for number nine, which is my first pick. Mm -hmm. And I pick Homer Simpson, Deep Space Homer. <laughs> Homer, the everyman astronaut. Uh-huh. I think this is a really great play on the spaceman trope because if you recall, the plot of that episode was that NASA was um, wanting to spike their ratings after a lot of... Uh, people were inter losing interest in their space launches because, like, you know, they weren't exciting yeah, anymore. Yeah. And they wanted an everyman. And they look on the TV and they see, like, Al Bundy. And, um, you know, they want someone who's, like, a schlub to go into space to uh -huh. make public interest go, you know, to go up. And, of course, Homer's the one who winds up going. Anyway, it's, I mean, like, there's not a whole lot to say about it. It's a great episode. It was, uh, I, I looked it up so I would be certain for the writing credit, but it was written by the showrunner, David Meerkin. Oh, okay. So, um, no, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a fantastic episode. And I do think that that is a really interesting and cute sort of spin on the, 
on the trope because the idea that an everyman needs to go into space, right? This was actually taken from real life. Uh, this episode came out, I think, in like 95. Yeah, I was going to ask. And uh, this was when it was long enough after the Challenger disaster, uh-huh. right? To where, the, you know, it, it wasn't like such a touchy topic that you couldn't that you couldn't even bring up anymore. But it was actually a real legitimate campaign by NASA to help get people interested in space exploration. They started um, earnestly recruiting people in 1983, or at least their big campaign you know, to say every, you know, a, a normal person needs to go to space. And they were particularly interested in recruiting, you know, journalists, writers, because someone who was not mechanically minded basically needed to witness the mm-hmm. majesty of space, right? And so, it, I mean, this, this episode, as silly and satirical as it was, was actually based on something real. And I know we mentioned this before, maybe on the last podcast, but I remember that it really worked because space launches were a big deal, even by the time they, quote, had gotten boring. Mm-hmm. I remember watching them in school. Um, and this is even after the Challenger disaster, because you and I both missed that. That was in 86. Mm-hmm. I remember that, you know, the teachers rolling out the TV, and we would all watch the, the space launches. Uh, and also, we all grew up thinking that astronaut was just a thing that you could probably do as like <laughs> right. one of your many career options. Well, you know, that, I think that's a really good point. And I think one of the interesting and frustrating things about spacemen is this is something that should be available to everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like humanity should be allowed to ask these strange questions about the universe, but it's a privilege afforded to people under certain circumstances in most cases or whatever. And so it's just, it, it just always bugs me that only certain people are allowed to answer certain types of important questions. So I'm always interested in, in stories that, that, that make you feel like uh, this is something um, any space dirt bag could get out there and make a name for themselves. Kind of like pirates, I guess. <laughs> and so um, it's, it's just it's always I, coming back to pirates. Yeah. So I really, I really do. I really am taking with that, like schlub getting to go to space thing because schlub should be able to go to space and we should have space yeah. elevators and there should be colonies and it's, and and there's uh, y'all can't tell, but Will is like seriously close to tears right now. I am not even, <laughs> I am not even making that up. No, but like, I, I get it. And that's, that's, that's precisely, you know, one of the stirring and wonderful things that they tried to instill in us when we were kids. Yeah. And I think pretty successfully too, because, yeah. you know, we're super into space even to this day. And I know people our age who have kids and they are watching all the SpaceX launches with their kids mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. Um, so I'll just, I'll leave us with a quote, uh, um, when they say, you know, it's really desirable for NASA to fly observers on the shuttle when they were talking about the, the taking people up in, uh, 83, when they started talking about that novelist, James Mishner, <clears throat> a space enthusiast and member of the NASA task force, put it more pointedly. He said, we need people other than MIT physicists to tell us what it's like up there. Oh, wow. So great. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, and that actually, that quote is from a 2016 article that the Smithsonian Magazine did. You can probably Google it and find it. But yeah, no, it was, it was a really neat one. But yeah, Homer in space, everyday spaceman. Spaceman every day. Number eight. I have been sent to Spaylot to borrow samples of life from different galaxies for study. On this planet, I chose you. Why me? Why not? Okay, my second pick, this is number eight, would be uh, the child David Freeman from Flight of the Navigator. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that movie. Oh, my Lord. Look, this no. is a solid one, and I, I want to talk about I it. agree with you. It's just funny. I just never I never <laughs> would have thought of that. Ugh, that oh, God, that movie. That okay. movie is weird. Yes, it is. And, okay. And now, you know, I, I think I want to begin by just saying, I know we've all got a lot to deal with right now, but... In the last 20 years or so, we've really let our guard down about alien abductions. <laughs> and It's still happening. It's yeah, still happening, yeah. people. Well, I mean, it's it, a menace. It used to be a big deal for us. It used to be very pressing. I mean, from X-Files, Fire in the Sky, Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries, oh yeah. This is, this is something that felt like it probably was going to happen. It was in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... This movie, Flight of the Navigator in particular, made this scenario of alien abduction seem 
most likely to me. So this was 1986. Mm-hmm. I think I'm probably same year as Metroid, I think. Um, it was a kid close to my age. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they just really nailed the era so it felt real. I mean, the house and the neighborhood and his older brother, they just all felt like places where I live. This is like what Super 8 and Stranger Things are trying to capture now, but this was authentic, you know? Right. Um, and it also really felt like my house because of where it was set. It was in Florida and it looked... It looked oh, right. And his back and like his woods and stuff looked just like my backyard. Like this could happen, and so so anyway, this character, this is David Freeman. He's twelve years old. In your head, you might be mistaking him for Fred Savage because he looks a lot like him. I did. I thought it was Fred Savage till I looked it up. Um, <laughs> nope. He couldn't play everything. Different. <laughs> Even his older brother in the movie looks just like Wayne from The Wonder Years. Actually, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, they clearly said they was that Fred the Savage same type. actor though. I don't think so. Oh, okay. He was, was 16. They were like, it's the 80s. We need some butthead brothers. <laughs> yes. And he had like if a butthead blonde haircut, like the yeah. Biff, you know, yeah. and the glasses. Bring us some so Biffs. Bring, bring all the Biffs to my office. <laughs> You're a turd of an older brother. We want to see you. <laughs> so um, anyway, like in the story, the kid has to go uh, through the woods to go bring his brother back home after he's been playing, but he uh, slips and falls into a ravine. And he's missing for eight years. And then when he wakes up, no time has passed. He's experienced time dilation. His brother is 16 now. Um, He's eight years older. Um, And the spaceship that had taken him away during this time is calling to him. And then he goes and finds the spaceship. And he's supposed to help the spaceship go home because he has these star charts that were put in his head and all kinds of things. And the spaceship is Paul Rubens. It's pretty pretty nuts. (laughs) Now that part was great. (laughs) Now Will's over here talking all excitedly about the flight of the navigator right now like he thinks of it fondly but let me tell you all that we watched this movie at a friend's <laughs> house if you remembered this. in the audies like you know i think it was like 2008 2009 we, uh-huh. were, we were just you know some grown adult hipsters watching flight of the navigator and will got so bent out of shape at various plot points <laughs> in our loud conversations like we had the police called on us for a loud party <laughs> well from, from will talking about flight of the navigator as it was unfolding now well, first of all, okay, I'm going to... At our friend Cynthia's I'm going to accept your, accept your premise. There were some crazy things happening that I didn't remember, and part of that was just genuine excitement and not complaints. <laughs> but, like, he's in, like, a NASA lab for a while, and then I think Sarah Jessica Parker's in there. And There's then, some weird age-inappropriate flirtation, yes, as I recall. Yes, I think so. And then they had, like, Paul Rubens doing Steve Martin lines about, uh, about excuse me, and stuff like that, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And... I, I, yeah. And also, I don't know why we assumed it was me was the reason they it, called it the police. It definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> I watch movies quietly, as do the rest of our friends. No, but so so getting back to like why this is this is this is very similar to the last entry on the list, though it's more of the the everyman kind of that yes, like exactly. it could be you. It could yes, that's exactly right. It really felt like when it came out that felt like something that could happened to me and I think the plot points were pretty weird I even had trouble following them when I was a kid but it just felt like something I could see happening and you know I don't know if this sounds like um sad or motivating or whatever but I kind of wish it had happened to me like a lot of times sometimes I I wish that I had been abducted by aliens or something I just really (laughs) want to meet or to have met aliens I kind of wanted to be abducted without having a heart attack (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, and and, and, and benevolent aliens, I would like to add, in case there is a space genie listening. G- benevolent aliens would be nice. <laughs> well, that narrows down your options a whole lot, okay? <laughs> They're all pretty destructive. I don't mind yeah. helping them with science, but okay. I would Even like them to be responsible rec- with me. Okay, well, you understand there will be probes. <laughs> we can talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, as long as it helps with science. They're like, sir. It's for science? <laughs> is it for science? They're like, is this you, for can, science? you can pull your pants back up, sir. This is this is not part of what we were asking you. You're like, come on, bleep blorp. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, why did the navigator? Okay. Is, is, is anything else about that or... I don't think so. Okay. I would like I would like to say that I think I had accomplices where the police were called. I don't think it was just me. Oh, okay. <laughs> A likely story. Number seven. What an optimistic animal man is, said Rumford rosily. 
Imagine expecting the species to last for 10 million more years, as though people were at as well designed as turtles. He shrugged. Well, who knows? Maybe human beings will last that long, just on the basis of pure cussedness. What's your guess? Okay, number seven. Yours are like so sweet and noble, and I'm about to be a big downer. And also, I'm about to be very pretentious. But we'll see, I've got just, trashy ones. We'll see. I've got a trashy one, too. Okay. That's why I said my list was weird. Okay. It's Everything's weird. All right, number seven. We've got The Space Wanderer from Kurt Vonnegut's The Sirens of Titan. Okay. Okay, so this is 1959. I think this was his first novel. And just briefly, because I, like, I... Like spoiler alert about a book from 1959, but I do think it's worth <laughs> I do think that it's worth a read. But but essentially, I'm just to describe the character of the space wanderer. Um, this is in a very much post-apocalyptic Earth future where the Church of God, the Utterly Indifferent, prophesizes prophesize. Help me. Um, I've heard Prophecies? youth pastors say prophesied. I don't prophesied. know if that's right. <laughs> but the, the prophecy is that one day a lone space wanderer will make his way to Earth. He would be naked, and so the church has kept a special suit for him when he gets there, right? Okay. The suit is made of bright yellow skin-tight material, and it's got question marks all over it. Just to add to the effect, that's just the, for the <laughs> visual, okay? And the prophecy is that when asked what happened to him, he would say, I was a victim of a series of accidents, as are we all. And it comes true, right? And of course, the reason why this prophecy happens is, is interesting. It's worth a read if you've not read this one. And here's why I wanted to pick this one, right? Okay, blah blah I gotta get out of the way. Let's talk about Kurt Vonnegut as a writer. This is also in the School of Doi Ahoy, chapter one, verse one, that like Kurt Vonnegut obviously was one of the most brilliant writers of modern or maybe any times. <laughs> I, I would put him up there, right? And... um. <laughs> You know, he's one of your greats, like me. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, and I don't want to get to, like, sophomore lit class on us all, but I, I do think it's worth even just mentioning that because, you know, this is maybe his most far-out sci-fi kind of concept for a book, but it's not, it's not out of the realm of ordinary for even his better-known, most popular books. Well, it's sort of interesting when people are writing science fiction, like, in the 50s or even the early 60s because... Uh, I don't know. There's still a little bit of like that wild speculation because we had done oh, yeah. so much, so much less with, I mean, well, any real space exploration. And so it still was almost like the 1800s and wondering who's in, who lives in the moon. And, you know, it was kind of interesting. Right. And, you know, the space race was, you know, it was kind of like the off, we were, the space race was happening. Right. Okay. But, we, you know, but we hadn't really done, right. you know, really hadn't done anything. But anyway, and you know, it's all so it's fascinating for that reason. And I'll also just say, generally speaking, if if you're an adult now and you've not read Kurt Vonnegut since you were like 19 and thought yourself brilliant, I think you should read him again as an adult because it's a much more rewarding experience. Yeah, and they're all are pretty just fun reads. Too. Oh yeah, it's just oh, pretty yeah. good. Like Cat's Cat's Cradle, I, I remember is a really fun one. And oh yeah, I like Bluebeard. And and especially if you've not read Slaughterhouse Five, you 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 absolutely should. You should read it as an adult. However, you remember it from when you were like precocious in your teens and read it. It's it's a completely different experience, and that's because. Um, you can see everything through the lens of trauma and particularly the trauma, uh, the generational trauma that was just visited upon this whole generation of men who participated in World War II, uh -huh. right? That's all over all of his writing. The reason why this is a clever twist on the theme of the spaceman is that most of our stories about spacemen, of course, hold up space exploration as this noble thing, you uh -huh. know, like, of course, it's a noble thing. And then also, even if there's a bit of conquest in there, it's like, well, we're, we're but mankind, and that is what we do. Like, we explore. And um, these are some of the hallmarks of humankind. But in this story, it's more like a complete reversal and flip of that. It's more about the absurdity of thinking that we have any kind of free will uh -huh. when we're basically just pawns in an indifferent universe. And he has this uh, gorgeous phrase. He talks about the black velvet futility of the universe. And I'm like, God, oh, that's good. You know, <laughs> you know, you're just like, God, oh, that was good. In 1959, you know, like I, I couldn't have come up with that phrase. And of course, Kurt Vonnegut 
took those feelings of nihilism and made some of the most beautiful and incisive literature of the 20th century. But The Space Wanderer, I had to pick this one because I do feel that it was a really good iteration of the theme because it's a complete reversal. You know, mm -hmm. we, we feel that space exploration was something that was about these noble pursuits. But what if everything is scripted and nothing matters or nothing matters and everything is luck and nothing is anything? You know what I mean? Wow. Like this whole reaction to war and... Uh, and such was probably a lot of the reason why we look to space and exploration as the new next noble pursuit. Because huh. mm -hmm. we've already made a mess of Earth, right? And it's worth saying also, Buck Rogers, he was a veteran of the Great War in the first comic strip uh -huh. in like 1929. That, but he goes to space. Earth is a wasteland. We've made a mess of it, right? Mm -hmm. So this is just an interesting spin on that. And I'll have more to say about that later, even more pretentiously. Stick around. <laughs> the library. More, library. More than computers. Exactly. Number six. Glycine, valine, leucine, isoleucine, alanine. They all are aliphatic, so you will not see a ring. The lone human amino acid with one is proline. From protein we are formed. Number six. My pick is Moradin from the game Mass Effect. I knew Mass Effect was gonna. <laughs> I, Mass Effect is coming. I knew it was gonna happen. Wait, I'm surprised it's only at number six, but you know, we'll just see. We'll see where else you go. So I think I think the world of Mass Effect is kind of like uh, a mix of what I hope space and worry space would be like in the future <laughs> okay. if, if you're going to be making an interesting uh life that matters in space i feel like this is the kind of world where it would happen on, on our barbarian show you mentioned you know morrowind was your game and like your video game art that you liked i, I think mass effect would probably have to be that for me and if you haven't played it or you need a refresher this is basically a story set not too long after humanity's first contact with aliens and the establishment of diplomatic relations with them. It's kind of like Star Trek where humans are seen as a young, impetuous people, so nobody believes you when you're talking about the galactic threat, and so you have to assemble your crew to solve that kind of problem. And I don't want to already get off on a tangent, but I feel like <laughs> to talk about Mass Effect, we have to talk about a, a very important part of this game called the High Council. And the High Council <laughs> is 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 like the intergalactic <laughs> government that is comprised of all the different alien races. One second, you're you're like a really important part of this game, and I thought you were going to say the part where you scan the planets for the elements. Oh, I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay, never yeah. mind. Go on. Tell tell us about the High Council. Okay, well, the game is actually so good, and they set this world up so well that I was actually scared whenever we get a call on our spaceship from the high council. Like, oh, that's the high council. Like, what are we going to say? Are we prepared? Are we going to get in trouble? And I defer to whatever they want. Like, my bad, high council. Or you didn't, you know, you weren't there. You just have to trust me. I made the decision I thought was best at the time. Rebecca started playing this game. It's also worth mentioning I did not finish the game. And she okay. made, and when she was playing her character, she got her first call from the council because she, she well, she went, she went renegade on one of her missions and she got a call I from the- I did not! Remember, okay, I will tell you, I will recount to you the plot of the of the <laughs> opening mission of Mass Effect that I just thought was such garbage that I could not play anymore. Okay, you go, and you stumble upon a man, and he's trapped in some laser beam of light, uh -huh. and I think it's one of your crew guys. It's someone you know, uh -huh. and even if it's not, whatever, okay. And then you've got this annoying girl with you named Ashley. That's her name, right? Yeah. And you're like... Somebody, somebody needs to do something. And she goes, no, 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 don't touch him. It could be dangerous. Like, don't, you're trying to stop me from helping a dude on my crew. I just met you. I don't know who you are. What's your deal? And I wanted to get rid of her pronto. And I was in a bad mood. And then, so when the council calls me on my space phone and they're like, what happened at this mission? I'd be like, she's a stinker. Get her off my crew. Right, but yeah, and then I hung up on them. For, yes. That's what I was going to say. That's the they plot call, of the first mission. They called, they called, the how council called Rebecca. And I was like, ooh, that's the council. You better listen to what they say. <laughs> and she clicked hang up. I didn't, I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know you could do that. I was mad. So if you're wondering, you know, how we would act in space, I just want you to know that. that well, somebody named Ashley is not going to tell me what she to was, do. She actually was space racist. I remember that. Like well, she, see, I, and I was right. I was a good judge of character from the beginning. Yes. Okay. 
<laughs> well, as you can see, this game feels very real, <laughs> and you have a strong emotional connection with it. And I think one of the reasons they do that is because, and I will talk about the character in it, but one of the reasons they, it's like that is because they draw just enough of that world that you pick up on that mood and the scale of it. You feel like you're really traveling between those places. It's like that old writing advice where you talk about, you know, you sort of uh, draw the tip of the iceberg and, 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 and we can see the rest of it, and it's a lot more believable that way. But anyway, since you're moving through all these places, a big part of the game is is your crew because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. And mostly you're just like walking around space stations. And at least when I play it, scanning planets and picking up ore on planets. Yeah, there's like, we've detected boron. Yes. You're like, yes. So my favorite guy to pick is uh, Moradin. And Moradin is like your resident scientist, probably mad scientist. His, his race is called a Salarian. They're kind of like um, salamanders. And in the character design, they, they were sort of tasked themselves with making a salamander that looks like Clint Eastwood. And he's got like a long lab coat and lots of little hologram tools. And he's probably the most alien of the crew. So he's like unusual to take with you and talk to. And he has these cute little patter songs he sings to himself and stuff. And I think one of the reasons he's so interesting is because he has to reckon with making cold calculations about people's lives and the more other races and civilizations that he encounters the more he second guesses some science decisions he had made earlier and, and tries to fix them depending on on how you play it and I, I just always like the alien on the crew because I feel like they're they're reminding you you're you're on a mission of exploration you know you're not just vainglorious imperial turds i mean you're there to <laughs> learn more about humanity and what you should be doing out there and you know your calculations could also always change as you gather more data points yes exactly that's that's, that's exactly right and so you know for shallow reasons and <laughs> more sophisticated ones uh, i just love morden I, I mass effect's my favorite game morden's the best guy on it um i just love him it's, this is the testament to how rich this topic is. It's like your favorite dude from your favorite thing of all time, and it's like number six. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a rich topic. You planning to stick around when this is over? Until Reaper's dealt with, at least. Then, not sure. Have made impact on Galaxy. Genophage modification, genophage cure, work against collectors, decisions, mistakes. Might go somewhere sunny, sit on beach, look at ocean, collect seashells. You'd go crazy inside an hour. Might run tests on the seashells. Number five! All right, coming in at number five. This is a weird one, okay? And it's sandwiching not... I don't, I don't even know what to tell you, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you because you've not heard of this before. No one has. Number five, Kenny Rogers, Planet Texas. Howdy, partners. Is this true, Mr. Rogers, sir? What's that, son? This bull sugar story that you were captured by cowboys from Mars. My pa says you're full of it, and you made up the whole story. I never did, amigos. It's all true, every word of it. Well, where do they live then? What do they look like? Well, sit down, kids, and I'll tell you this whole story. Is this a song you've ever heard I of? I have never heard that. Kenny Rogers passed away earlier this year, and I thought I knew the man. You gotta know when to hold him, know when to fold him, you know? Islands in the stream, that is all what we uh -huh. are. It's cetera. Come to find out, in doing research for this, Kenny Rogers has a song called Planet Texas, and the video is... He has a guitar, is a cowboy, and he's telling a bunch of little boys a story about when aliens picked him up and took him on their spaceship, <laughs> and they explored space. And it's not a metaphor. No. That's just there's some stuff that happened to Kenny Rogers. It's some stuff. It's about a Saturday yes. in Kenny Rogers' life. And it happened to him. And the song also, even though it's got all this cowboy imagery, it is. it was definitely in the 80s. Did I write down what year? No. It was definitely in the 80s, though, because it sounded very synthy and pop-like. Mm -hmm. And so he's strumming a guitar in the beginning, but you don't hear a guitar, right? Because it's just like, you know, <laughs> it's just like some pop garbage. And I'm like, listen, dude, okay, I know a lot about spacemen because of the life I live, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. I know a lot about weird country music ephemera, again, because of the life I live. I watch Hee Haw from the 70s to relax every night, like when I go to bed. You know what I mean? I have never heard of this song before this week, and I am angry that no one has told me about it. 
I think it's funny that there's probably been several years that he was in the studio and he's always got like a short list of what he's going to record next. Next thing he'd be like, I do islands in the stream, the Holman Foldham song, uh, planet Texas about a time when I was abducted. So you know what? I, I think it's time. For, I think the world's ready for islands in the stream. Let's, 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 let's put that one out. Put the other one on your maybe list. He's, he's, he's like, like nope. and one day he came in and was like, I we see what do y'all it. were doing. For Don't several years, we've been putting Planet Texas off, and it's time for people to learn about the about Planet the time, Bleep Blorp. Yeah, about the time that I went there in space. And it's just, okay, so there's a couple of reasons why I picked this song, besides the sheer insanity of need, needing to share it with you all, because I just felt like a song that Kenny Rogers sang about outer space was something <laughs> I should have known about, and I can't believe what. So anyway, there's just that, reason number one. Reason number two and this is like more of a real reason. I, I did want to touch on the space western cowboy sort mm-hmm, of thing. Because so, mm-hmm. you may have a cowboy in the rest of your list. I don't know. I don't. This is my this is my cowboy discussion, right? Space and westerns obviously go right hand in hand because of the exploration and the frontier and all the... Well, when you're talking about like a lot of the uh, you know, these space people coming after like a great war or whatever, you do see that in a lot of space westerns. They, they will have had their proxy for a civil war and then they're right. going out like the old west. You right, know? yeah. So, so yeah, you've again, you've made a mess of the world you live yeah. in and you want to go you want to go explore some broad new frontiers. Um, in fact, and this is something that you I'm, I'm pretty confident that we will talk about Star Trek at some point today. But if we don't mention this later, like it's so much part of the science fiction world that when they were pitching Star Trek to the network and originally uh-huh. uh, Gene Roddenberry described it as a uh, wagon train to the stars, uh-huh. essentially. Like that is part of the essential pitch. That's part of the story. Like like space stories are Western stories. It's like essentially. I think even Deep Space Nine, I've read somewhere that the they one of their ideas for that was it was just going to be like Cisco and his son and it was going to, I forgot, I think it was, it like, was based on the Rifleman or it something. It was, and I, I, I made sure <laughs> take a note of that in case it came up although i was not specifically uh, that's going not to like talk a good show that. actually well yeah yeah the single father raising his son because the sheriff odo the bar brothel quarks um the frontier town oh, you, know, interesting, you know kind of a thing uh near a strategic pass the wormhole mm-hmm. so like yeah no so it's it's ingrained in um science fiction for all the reasons that we've already talked about is the disruption and turmoil and then there's still always that idea that noble idea that like perhaps when we get to this next area we're not going to make a mess of it uh-huh. <laughs> like we do everywhere else but um yeah no so kenny rogers planet texas is not about any of that except for the nice aliens who ride in on horses but do have spacesuits he describes them in detail in the song <laughs> um they do take him around and they are cowboys and so is he somehow <laughs> I like to believe he gave them all like a stets and they said their goodbyes. I, I believe something like that does happen. <laughs> there's a there's a punchline at the at the end of the. It's not really a punchline because the punchline is that um, they're from a planet way 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 far away and it's called Planet Texas. And the, <laughs> then the joke is like that's just like the real Texas. It's real big. It's crazy. People in Texas do their own thing, and that's the joke. But then they're like, man, do you think that really happened to Kenny Rogers? (laughs) (laughs) It did! They had high-tech horses with beacons in their eyes. Number four! Shut down those engines, mister. I'm going through. I swear it. Now you open those doors. All right. So I want you to imagine that you're like in late middle school. No, and it's a week, I do not want to imagine weekend. that. It's late afternoon. There's nothing on TV and you're flipping around. It's like wings and golf and you're switching between all the golf. stations. Man, golf was on TV all the time it when really there was, was no cable. You're turning the channels and you're like, golf? They, like we had three chances to watch something and one of them is golf. <laughs> anyway... Well, one of the things that's not golf that you see on TV looks vaguely 70s or 80s. It's kind of hard to tell, so you're already kind of bummed out. There's so much orange and brown and shaggy haircuts. But then there's also some spaceship crashes, and then there starts to be some drama with with the aliens on the planet, and there's some kind of factory. And you know what? That's actually pretty good. So I'm talking about the movie Enemy Mine. Huh. 
And I'd like to talk about the uh, spaceman Willis Davidge from Enemy Mind. Okay. <laughs> so this is uh, from 1985. I'm not sure how many folks are uh, around our age ha- had a chance to watch this, but this was uh, a West German American sci-fi film starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. And it's sort of interesting to think about, like even like a the idea of like a West German film for us, somebody our age. Um, yeah. It's kind of relevant for the film too because. You know, the Berlin Wall doesn't come down until like four years after this movie. And here's a story about enemies who have to become friends. You've got Willis Davidge, that's Dennis Quaid, and he's having these... That's a good fake name. It is. And he's having these starfighter battles with Louis Gossett Jr. I was going to say, do you know why? It's because it's neither name is really a name. I guess Willis is kind of a name, but it's not really a name. Anyway. It, it just feels like earthy. Yeah. And so he's fighting uh, Louis Gossett Jr. in space, who's a reptile alien. And <gasps> I feel like I've missed out. Well, they both crash land on this same mining colony and end up having to work together to survive. And they become friends. And Louis Gossett Jr. becomes pregnant because his race can produce asexually. And then Davidge has to promise, if he dies, to take Louis Gossett Jr.'s reptilian baby back to the home planet and recite his lineage so he can be part of their race or whatever. It's got a really good third act and it's a really good movie. That's, that sounds good. You know what? Like I just saw, I watch old commercials for fun to relax. Also in addition to hee haw in bed. And um, I just saw a promo for a, an HBO movie that uh, Lou Gossett Jr. did with Anthony Edwards. It's called El Diablo. And it was like a, funny western and mm-hmm. i got that like from hearing this and hearing and, and watching that trailer i feel like lou gossett jr was probably a really fun dude because i, I just, think i so. feel like he picked really good roles like, is that really, how you say his name lou uh, they they build him as lou gossett oh, jr. oh he probably went by that yeah actually he did seem pretty funny i saw a little interview with him talking about playing this reptilian character and uh they were asking him you know what made him want to take the role and he said first of all nobody else is going to do it <laughs> and then he was talking about like all the things he had to do to prepare like he was saying well I was thinking reptile like you got to walk flat on your feet and he oh, was sort of good. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was sort of okay. explaining how he's do that and you have to get on your feet quick and sort of crouch and stuff and he just seemed like a funny guy and he talked about like one of the stunt doubles getting rashes from all the makeup they had to put on him and stuff he seemed like a good guy He's, he's yeah, funny. I was going to say, watching that old, ancient HBO trailer for the movie El Diablo, I, I was like, Lucas Jr. seems like a cool guy. <laughs> Whatever. That's it really was, funny. It's really cool. I mean, you know, so the the obvious theme that you're picking up on it is like brokering some sort of international peace, you know, because that's in, in the water at the time. And then, But also considering the main stars are like a white man and a black man, you know, you're, you're also bridging some racial divides, you know, yeah. with these different aliens. Um, and it was kind of weird because it flopped here in the theaters, but big hit in the former Soviet Union. They loved it. And so it, it ended up kind of surviving and having a cult following uh, because of that. And then people like me saw it on like TBS Superstation one afternoon. <laughs> and you were so. like, it's better than golf. And then maybe it's just really good. <laughs> so what were they exploring? The boundaries of the human heart? Uh, yeah, I think, I, think, I think so. I mean, in Davidge or Dennis Quaid, I mean, you're, you're seeing the you know, how to be like an international citizen. You're learning more about like how to be responsible um, to to other peoples and mankind and how would you define mankind and that sort of thing. So like all the best spacemen is sort of an internal exploration uh, as well. Oh. <laughs> That's what I hope our business in space will be like one day. You know, we're learning more about ourselves because the more we learn about other people and other things. Yes, I feel Elon Musk is very well prepared to... <laughs> As he do- shoots another Ferrari into space. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. The place is a barren landscape of a rock-walled canyon that lies millions of miles from the planet Earth. The cast of characters, William Fletcher, commander of the spaceship, his co-pilot, Peter Craig. The other characters you may never see, but they're there as these two gentlemen will soon find out, because they're about to partake in a little exploration into that gray shaded area in space and time that's known as the Twilight Zone. All right, at number three, we have astronaut Peter Craig from the Twilight Zone episode, The Little People. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Okay, so 
couple of things. First of all, everyone's vaguely familiar with every Twilight Zone because it's like, which one is it? That this is the one where uh, it's two astronauts who have crash landed on a planet, and one of them goes mad and sees himself as the god of a bunch of little tiny people in a valley, and they erect the statue of him, and he is very capricious and weird and likes, mm-hmm. you know, messing with them and everything mm-hmm. like that. It's that one. Um, and and is this what the Simpsons episode was based yes, on? Yes, when the Simpsons parodied it when Lisa was the queen of the tooth yeah. that got zapped or whatever. It was, uh, it was a play on this episode. Okay. But this is an episode about madness, space madness, mm-hmm. madness and hubris, and also about fate versus free will and all that good stuff that just happens to take place with two spacemen, okay? So this is, we're just exploring some of humanity's best themes, in space but they are spacemen because they are you know exploring when everything goes wrong and you know for whom the trials of exploration bring out the worst in human nature so this is like Uh another this is another one of those like bummer uh themes i think it's important that you and i are on the space mission together because i feel like i want to propel us forward on the altruism of our mission but you're going to remind us of the realities and the dangers inherent in, in our humanity that we need to be yes. aware of. I, I feel it's an important task. It's an important task. Um, so I knew, I knew I had to pick something from the Twilight Zone. And here's where I'm going to be pretentious again, but whatever. Just fast forward if you don't want to. I Look, I talked about Kenny Rogers. What more do you want? But I knew I wanted to pick something from the Twilight Zone because, first of all, there are tons of great spacemen stories. There are at least, there's a handful in the original series of Twilight Zone, but I think this is like the, maybe the best one in terms of the theme here. But it's the same thing that I was talking about earlier with Kurt Vonnegut. Rod Serling was a generational talent, like he was a -a one-of-a-kind talent, and he is another person for whom the experience of World War II was so profoundly Uh affecting that he wound up just writing all of this amazing work on the nature of man and, you know, mankind and um, all of our foibles and follies, and also a lot of speculative fiction too, like what if, knowing what we know about man, what if the situation were like this instead? And um, well, he just, had a lot of those teleplays were about some soldier getting supplanted into different realities. Oh and, yeah, and what what does it mean in different contexts? Yeah, and, different realities. And is it still relevant. And of course, he openly explored you know concepts around World War II in many many episodes. Uh-huh. That, and he wrote, I think, pretty much every teleplay for the original series. So, I mean, like he was just like a one man genius factory. And just because his medium was television, I don't think that that makes it any less good. You know, like I think this is some of the, again, some of the best writing. And really a lot of it does have to do with, uh, (laughs) you know, the the trauma of um, deciding how much control you have over your, your fate in an uncaring universe or in a universe where things are flipped upside down or in a universe where things go exactly as you would imagine them to. Um, it's really fascinating, and I do think that this is a great episode because it maybe reminds me a little bit of some leaders we might see in today's world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where someone who is so giddy at the prospect of being in charge of people that they lose all sense of humanity just in the gleeful madness of having power over people. Mm -hmm. Doesn't remind me of anyone. But yeah, no, this again, I, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be such a bummer because Will is all like, like the beauty of space. And I'm like, the horrors of space. <laughs> Both are tiring, <laughs> but together we can go to space. Number two. I don't understand. What is he? A machine. Is he? Are you sure? Yes. You see, he's met two of your three criteria for sentience. So what if he meets the third? Consciousness in even the smallest degree. What is he then? I don't know. Do you? Okay, <clears throat> this is the number two pick, which will be my number one pick, okay? <clears throat> so if we consider that the multiverse exists in most worlds... <laughs> Every good sentence starts out like this. I think I would have probably ended up with this being the top pick. Can you guess who I'm going to pick? I have... I, it could be one of two people. I'm going to pick... Data, Lieutenant Commander nope, Data that was from not Star one of my, Trek. That wasn't one of my picks. Okay. <laughs> oh, of course you were going to pick Data. 
I was I was thinking it could have been Picard or Cisco. You didn't go for the captain. You went for the android because he teaches us about what it means to be human. Yeah. Duh. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I have, get it now. I have more to say about it's very obvious Picard now that you're and Cisco, it. but I, I I did consider both of them, and I considered yeah, and he explored humanity. He I explored, considered Worf too. Oh, that's but, a good one. Yeah. So he so Rebecca says he's the android. Uh, and we all know who Data is. He's he's he was the android played by Brent Spiner on Star Trek: Next Generation and last season of Picard, uh, which is the reason you would want CBS Access. Uh, he's the second officer on the Enterprise. Um, they also have all the Twilight Zone. Sorry, oh, yeah, that's true. Yes. If you six dollars a month to watch CBS, the, the Twilight Zone and every Star yeah. Trek and all the young Sheldon, your heart desires. <laughs> <laughs> they make all some strange assumptions. Like please, please watch Young Sheldon, please. <laughs> So, uh, just the rest of the background on him, he's, he's created by Dr. Noonien Soong. Um, he went back in time to meet Mark Twain at one point. God, that episode. He defeated uh, the Borg Queen, and he had a cat named Spot. So, uh, fun, also fun fact about uh, Data, I spent like 10 bucks in a claw machine one time trying to get a little Data doll um, I think it was like a Kroger claw machine. Mm-hmm. And then we just ended up having to get him on eBay because I just couldn't get him. But it was too sad that I couldn't have him. Well, I mean, yeah, I was like, this, this claw machine is some nonsense. Just, you know. You know who's really inhumanly good at the claw machine is Scott. Uh, is our friend Scott. Yeah, Scott is like a savant at claw machines. Like, you're not supposed to be able to get something you out of a claw why? machine. You know why? They're roughly related to zip lines. Just the slightest, <laughs> slightest of bit of resemblance. Anything of with a claw and a zip line element. Yeah. 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 It's not, and a claw machine's kind of like space. It's like a Waldo or something. Oh, it's yeah. really cool. So, yeah, oh, Scott, yeah, Scott, Scott uh, captured me a Beetlejuice doll from the same machine at Kroger. <laughs> well, I think it was a different Kroger, but yes. <laughs> it was really funny. So, anyway. I wanted to choose somebody from Star Trek, and like you, we were saying, there's a few I could pick from that I might mention some honorable mentions, but Data is on the truest mission of exploration. Like we were saying, he wants to be human. He's on a mission to be human. And like Picard told the Q continuum in the last episode of TNG that to discover the potential of humanity is humanity's purpose. And that's exactly what Data's doing. But for him... It's not an abstraction. He wants to know if he has a soul. It's like, it's not an abstract question. It's immediate and important to him. And the more civilizations he encounters and the more relationships he has, uh, you know, the closer he gets to an answer. Okay. Well, well chosen. I, uh, we, we knew Star Trek would have to be very high on the list, right? Like, we knew that because, of course, that, that's where the, the trope comes from, essentially. So, I am... If, there, if there's a robot crew member... I love them for this reason, and I think he's sort of the the king of the robot crew members. (laughs) (laughs) That too. He will need to be fed once a day. He prefers feline supplement number 25. I understand. And he will require water. And you must provide him with a sandbox. And you must talk to him. Tell him he is a pretty cat. And a good cat. I will feed him. Okay, before we name our top spaceman, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Okay, my first honorable mention is a character named Abelard Lindsay from the Schismatrics novels. (sighs) (laughs) Briefly. It says co-host brief picks. (laughs) I'll also say Ben Sisko, like we were saying. Yeah, I, th- I thought he had a good chance of winding up somewhere high on the list. I know we're both very fond of him. Yeah, he's sort of like, for, for me, I mean, he still has the nobility of the Starfleet mission, but I feel like he has tougher circumstances to do it. He has to make tougher decisions, and so he should get uh, he's for the that. He's the man who, who weds your idealism and my realism. I think you're right. All right? That's our dude. Um, I said Flash Gordon. I was going to put him on honorable mentions as well. Yeah, he's sort of like a, a great pulp hero and the great music that goes with it and everything. Um, Silver Surfer, he's sort of like an odd, tragic 
melancholy sort of space okay. wanderer. I, I like get, him. I get that, yeah. Queen Marlena from uh, He-Man. So I wondered if she was going to wind up on the list, and I have her in my honorable mentions as okay. well. Because, I, you know, she's the cartoon mom that made you care about cartoon moms. Exactly. Because literally no other mom character was ever, like, <laughs> like in the like in the 80s, it's like the mom. You know what I mean? Like, Full House was popular because they're like, let's just kill her off at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I guess you're right. Mom is dead weight. But Queen Marlena. Lena has a mom who was an astronaut, yeah. an Earth astronaut, and then she took a brief detour to be a queen and have a powerful babies, two of them. Uh, and then two, two more. Uh, one would be uh, Ender Wigan from the Ender's Game stuff, except <sighs> we get lots of demerits from um, Orson Scott Card yeah. being a certified turd head these days. He is. I just I I didn't touch the Ender's season series for that reason uh, yeah, we'll no, talk about it yeah. later though uh and commander adama from battlestar galactica yeah i thought about battlestar 2 but similar ultimately. to similar to cisco very tough situation had to make some hard decisions number one okay so uh, with all those spacemen behind us what is your number one who's the number one spaceman rebecca hear about it, Bishop. She's alive. There's still time. In 19 minutes, this area is going to be a cloud of vapor the size of Nebraska. Hicks, don't let them leave. We ain't going anywhere. See you, Hicks. Dwayne. It's Dwayne. Ellen. Everybody's going to have to agree. I think we can all agree. Ellen Ripley. That is the number one. 1979, 86, Alien, Aliens, particularly. Oh, it was like, Aliens in 86? Uh, according to my research. Interesting. Okay. There was a, there was a gap between the two. I have the thoughts on two. that later. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're going to ask, you'd be like, okay, how, you know, how does she count for the exploration aspect? Because these are space mercenaries. You know, this is the crew on the Nostromo. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're, not, uh, they're not on a mission of noble pursuits. The cool thing about the riff on this theme is that the exploration, the terrain, the setup, all of the unknown is inside the ship. Yeah. Right? It's a drawing room play. Because this whole, I mean, like the all of the terror, I mean, obviously with the creature, you see it a lot, and that's where a lot of the scares are. But you could almost stage it as tension in one location mm-hmm. and like new information coming along ever so often as someone gets killed off, right? Like, you mm-hmm. could almost stage Alien on a play, like, as a play. You know what? <laughs> you know what? That's, that's, that's one of the things I really love when there's some sort of fantastical element that makes you see your every day, all of a sudden it's transformed into something completely exciting and terrifying and different. And that's what it is. Yeah. You know, they're on this, they're sent by the mad about Mew man into space on this boring <laughs> mission. And all of a sudden the aliens there and all of a sudden they're seeing everything different. And everything is different. Right. And then, so, you know, the unknown is the creature. And then of course your own mind, cause you got to come up with solutions and then you are challenged to yeah. like when everything is different, like, uh, how do I explore this? And you and, learn a lot about yourself when you're doing that. Yes, you do. And every gory death is just like a, a data point and you don't have have that many because as crew members die yeah he was taken down to having to figure out what to do right and so i think all of those reasons i think is why we think of ellen ripley as just this perfect the perfect twist at the perfect time on on the trope to where i now think that you would hold her up as the crystallized version of like who is the spaceman mm-hmm. now i think we're all looking at ellen ripley she's our buck rogers yeah, exactly. Because like when when you said spaceman, she was probably the first person I thought of. Yeah, she in was fact, first person I thought of. And I was like, I re- remember being kind of annoyed because it's like, okay, so Ripley has to be number one, right? Like that was the, like uh-huh. we had to talk about it beforehand because it was obvious. But then also I was like, well, do I want a weird one? No. This but we didn't want to we didn't want to relegate her to the Conan template status exactly. because she deserved to be number one. And because she was and remains like a, a great twist on it for the, all the reasons that we just said. Yeah. Because it is just this, you know, it is the isolation of space, but it's also the unfamiliar and changing terrain of the ship that, you know, the ship that should be familiar and boring. Mm-hmm. And then, uh-oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not. So... I mean, what's and, more and, to say, right? And even and even uh, Metroid, they they ex- explicitly said they were 
inspired by Alien to make Samus, and, and that's why and we so got a the lot list, of the Geiger-type stuff. Yeah, so the list wraps up so beautifully with a little bow on top. You know, if we were looking for what we learned from this list or whatever, I think one of the things I have learned is that our top two picks, those characters both very much love their cats. <laughs> so Will wants to get a cat. I, th I think so. And also something else that was kind of interesting to me is a lot of people, at least on my list and a lot of yours, happened around 85 or 86, which is what you were talking about. That was like the height of when we were interested. And then we all sort of got... Beavis and Butthead dispirited in the 90s about it. <laughs> Which I enjoyed, but yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that, so it was, that it was, feeling. It was, it was kind of it was kind of interesting. I, I look forward to when we will take these questions seriously again. Well said. And that's our list. If you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media, and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Will, where can people follow us? You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram, or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows, like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Go learn about Queen Marlena, the oh, Rainbow yeah. Warrior. That's a great episode. It's a great episode. Or come geek out with Rebecca about audio production on her weekly stream at Twitch TV slash King Garrity. K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y. Seriously do it because no one watches my It's stream. fun. It's it's fun <laughs> to watch. She's making her making her album. There's it's fun stuff. Will doesn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes there's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble and few But you've waited through tedium